Good morning. Can I just say that you are beautiful? And thank you. And you are loved. If you don't know those things, then ask God. He sees you as beautiful and as loved. Uh, I'm really excited this morning. I'm really excited. You can tell, can't you? Uh, we've started uh, this year looking at how we can grow, grow spiritually, grow in our relationship. I need that, don't I? Oh, what's happening? There we are. Uh, grow in our relationship with Jesus. Grow in trust, grow in faith, grow in courage, grow to be the people that God's created us to be. And over the last four weeks, I've tried to illustrate that word grow so that it stays with us. A bit of a show and tell so that it emphasizes um, that word grow. And if you remember a month ago, four weeks ago, we planted a bulb in a pot. Do you remember? And we didn't plant it in stones because that was no good. And we didn't plant it in little uh, fluffy cotton wool balls because that wasn't any good. We planted it in good soil because, you know, uh, when we're growing in Christ, we need to plant ourselves in Jesus, uh, attach ourselves to Jesus. And every second Sunday of the month, we would see how much this plant has grown. And that's why I'm so excited, because I get to show you the pot and the bulb and the amazing flower that it's becoming. Are you ready? Isn't that amazing? Oh, look, see? Absolute, well, I guess I'm a pastor, so I need to tell you the truth. <laughs> this is what we planted. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing has happened. Thank you for your encouragement, Daphne. <laughs> this is not what I hoped for. I'll be honest, I'm a little disappointed. I've been watering it regularly. I've been making sure it had lots of light. I've spoken to it tenderly and I've massaged the soil around it. And nothing... But then, isn't this a perfect illustration for us as we seek to grow? You see, sometimes we may not see the immediate growth in our lives. Sometimes we may not see God moving. Sometimes we may not feel any closer to God, even though we've tried really, really, really hard Nothing seems to have happened. You see, growing can be hard. Growing physically can be hard. I remember when my kids were little, they used to wake up in the night with growing pains. And it was hard. It was painful. 
And we've been looking at the last couple of weeks some habits we need to foster which will help us grow closer to Jesus. Uh, The habit of meditation. Finding a regular time to be still and, and allow God to be God. And to give us his perspective on our situations. The habit of prayer. Finding a regular time to come into God's presence and just have a conversation, an intimate conversation where we can just pour out our heart, all of our joys and our fears um, and know he's listening. And it's hard, isn't it, to find the time and the energy and the inclination to build these habits into our lives, especially when we don't see any immediate benefits. Don't be discouraged. God is still moving. We may not see it. We may not feel it. Our lives may not be any better. Our emotions may not be any better. But just like this plant, it's growing. We just can't see it. I hope. (laughs) The roots are coming down. So just keep coming to Jesus. Keep praying. Keep finding time to meditate each and every day. Things are not just as they seem. Okay, that's the first lesson for the day. You are getting, you're lucky people, you're getting two sermons today. You're getting two sermons for the price of one. Buy one, get one free. That was the first sermon. This is the next one, okay? Because uh, what we're going to look at today is another special spiritual discipline that perhaps is the hardest one of them all. Certainly the most emotionally demanding. But I promise you that if you and I build this discipline into our lives, we will clear a big blockage that will help us grow closer to Jesus. I've been using three books. I've been reading three books that have helped me most with regard to spiritual disciplines. The classic Celebration of Discipline by Richard Forster. I really recommend that one to you. Renovation of the Heart by Dallas Willard and The Life You've Always Wanted by John Ortberg. I read a story from that last book this week uh, that John Ortberg uh, uh, wrote that actually reminded me of something that happened to us as a family a few years ago. A number of years ago, we brought, we bought a new sofa. Now, it was a big thing for us because we don't normally buy new things. Uh, and Lynn, so Linda laid down the law to our young children from the very beginning. This sofa is special and valuable. Here's the rules. Don't sit on the new sofa. Don't touch the new sofa. Don't play around the new sofa. Don't eat on it. Don't breathe on it. Don't look at on it. Don't even think about the new sofa. Remember the forbidden tree in the Garden of Eden. On every other chair in the house you may freely sit. 
But upon this sofa, the new sofa, you may not sit. For in the day you sit thereupon, you shall surely die. <laughs> so the kids knew the score. Then came the fall. One day there appeared on the new sofa a stain, a red stain, a red jelly stain. That stain, uh, and, and so my mild-mannered uh, wife turned into the Hulk. She lined up our four children in front of the sofa, of the new sofa, and she said, do you see that, children? That's a stain, a red stain, a red jelly stain. That stain is never coming out, not forever. Do you know how long forever is, children? That's how long we're going to stand here until one of you tells me who made that stain. <laughs> Sam was the first to break. With trembling lips and tear-filled eyes, he said, Hannah did it. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah passionately denied it. Then there was silence. For the longest time, no one said a word. I knew the children wouldn't, for they had never seen their mother so upset. I knew they wouldn't because they knew that if they did, they would spend eternity in the timeout chair. I knew they wouldn't because I was the one who put the red jelly stain <laughs> on the sofa. And I knew that I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> the truth is, of course, that we all have stained the sofa of our lives. Some of the stains are small and barely noticeable, but some of them bleed through the entire fabric of our lives. Stains that we regret, wishing we could go back and make them better. And let me tell you, those stains, the big stains and the little stains, hold us back from growing in Jesus. Growing in our human relationships, growing in our spiritual relationship with the living God. What can we do about the stains? Can we get rid of them? And if so, how? Will you turn with me to the Psalms? There's a couple of Psalms. I'm going to read five verses from each. So Psalm 51, first of all, and then going back to Psalm 32, and I'll explain why I'm doing uh, those two in a minute. Psalm 51 says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you... 
you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And then Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Oh, sorry. No, Psalm 32. I beg your pardon. Let's start out again. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. I have good news for you this morning and I definitely have good news for me. The stains we've made in our lives can be removed. They can be wiped clean. They can be banished to the furthest edges of the earth. You and I no longer have to live with the stains. And to help us remove the stains, there's a habit. There's a habit that we need to get into, a spiritual discipline. Although really, really hard and sometimes very painful, that discipline will bring us to a place of great joy and of great freedom and allow us to grow. That spiritual discipline is called confession. And confession isn't easy. Why isn't it easy? Because of the guilt and the shame that we feel is so strong. We even feel guilty when we've not done anything wrong. You get the phone call from the, uh, the, Canada, uh, the Canada Revenue Agency saying that we're going to come and lock you up in jail because you owe so much money. Everyone, anyone had that phone call? I, I get, yeah, there we go. And you start, when I first got it, I thought, oh my goodness, what have I done? Because we feel guilty. What are you like when you cross the border into the United States? And the border guard says... Where are you going? What are you doing? Why are you going there? You start feeling as though you shouldn't be going there because you feel incredibly guilty that you've done something wrong and you've got to confess something. But sometimes fessing up is so hard, it's difficult because we don't want to admit our own faults and our own mistakes. The shame is too strong. We want to... We want them to stay hidden, don't we? Because we want to look as though we have everything together. I can guarantee you this morning that I don't have everything together. Far from it. I can't speak for you, but I think that might be your case as well. We don't have everything together, but we hide 
we hide. But as followers of Jesus, we're called to confess. Scripture's full of this command. Here's a few. In Proverbs 28, 13, it says, You will never succeed in life if you try to hide your sins. There you go. Confess them and give them up. Let them go, as that woman in Frozen says. Let it go. Then God will show mercy to you. 1 John 1, 9 says, But if we confess our sins to God, He will keep His promise and do what is right. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all wrongdoing. And in James 5.16 it says, So then, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you will be healed. The prayer of a good person has a powerful effect. So confession is necessary and vital part of our spiritual lives. And for the rest of our time, uh, the next 15 minutes or so, I want to go through three questions. What is confession? Why confess? And then lastly, how to confess. And, and that last one, we're going to have some real practical uh, steps we can take toward confession. Okay, what is confession? Well, if we look at the Psalms that we read, they were written by uh, King David and are linked together. Now, they were written by him after he was outed by the prophet Nathan. So uh, you might remember the story. He come, Nathan comes to the king and says, I know what you did. You slept with Bathsheba. And then you sent her husband away to the front line of the battle so that he would be killed so that you could be with her. David, you're guilty of adultery and murder. You've stained your life, David, and the life of your family and other families. You have sinned against God. Now, David, at that point, has a choice. He could do what a lot of us tend to do. Deny, 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 deny. Cover up, cover up, cover up, cover up. Or confess. Well, he chose the latter. And he wrote these two psalms following that as part of that process. And Psalm 51, the first one that I read, is a very raw psalm. It's lots of deep emotion. This is what it says in the message. Um, David saying, scrub away my guilt. Soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. He pleads with the Lord to forgive him, to restore his joy. And, and David also makes a promise in Psalm 51 that if God forgives him and restores his joy, he's going to teach other people about God's forgiveness. And many Bible scholars think that Psalm 32, the second Psalm that I read, is David's fulfillment of that promise. And that makes total sense because the tone of Psalm 32 is so different from Psalm 51. It's not as raw and immediate. Instead, David in Psalm 32 is reflecting on his experiences and on the blessings that come 
um, from his confession and repentance and forgiveness. Look at verse 5 in, in Psalm 32. It says, uh, 5 and 6, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So, so what is confession? Well, confession is basically coming to God with a contrite heart, knowing you've messed up, knowing you've stained the sofa, and telling him what you've done wrong. And then seeking his forgiveness, seeking him to remove the stain. And we'll look at how we do that in a moment. But first, why? Why confess? And it's actually a really good question because if as a Christian I know that God has already forgiven me, why should I have to confess? Well, here's the thing. Confession isn't for God's benefit. You know, our confession doesn't catch him off guard. You know, wow, Trevor, I never knew that about you. Seriously, you did that? Hang on, give me some time. I need some time to process this. No, he knows. He knows. And also God isn't clutching tightly to his mercy, his grace, so that you have to try to wrestle it from his grasp. You know, come on. No, you can try harder than that, Trevor. No, come on. No. No. It says... His mercy is freely given in, in Ephesians 1, 6 to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has, what? Freely given to us in the one he loves. So it's not that. So why confess? Well, we need to confess in order for us to be healed and to be changed. When we confess, two things happen. The first is that we are liberated and healed from the burden of guilt. Look at how David is before he confesses his sin to God. This is what he says. When I was silent, so before I confessed my sin, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. David was wasting away. He was exhausted. He was under a huge burden. And that's what unconfessed sin does, doesn't it? It eats away at you. I remember watching a, an interview with Lance Armstrong. You know Lance Armstrong, the, who, uh, I don't know how many times he won the Tour de France, nine times? And, and he had always said, always said uh, no, I didn't take any drugs? No drugs. Didn't take it, didn't take it, didn't take it. And then eventually he had to confess. And I remember watching an interview of his. And they asked him, why did you come clean now? He said, because I couldn't bear to live with the guilt. It was eating away at me. And that's what happens when we allow uh, that burden to stay on us. So that's why we need to confess. The second is that we will be changed. We will uh, 
be at least a little less likely to sin in the same way in the future than if we had not confessed at all. Because confession makes you aware of how destructive sin is. And sin will look and feel less attractive once you've confessed. So why we confess? We confess for ourselves, really. For our benefit. Okay, we know what confession is and why it's important. But how do we confess? How do we confess? Okay, I was thinking about bringing a confessional in today, a big box. And I thought that we would have that and you guys could line up and then you could tell me all your uh, uh, stuff and... We don't have to run out and seek out a friendly neighborhood priest. We don't. Because we can go directly to the great high priest, which is Jesus Christ. Who we are told in scripture in Romans 8, intercedes on our behalf. What does that mean? You know what he's doing right now, or as we confess our sins? He's up there sitting next to his father. And his father's hearing us confess, and Jesus is saying, that's all right, Dad. He's okay. She's fine. I died for them. It's okay. They're good. They're clean. And the father says, oh, it's great. Thanks, son. I'm not sure it's exactly how it goes. (laughs) But you get the idea. Jesus is interceding on our behalf. We don't have to go through a human intermediary because we can go through Jesus and for what he's done. So that's comforting, isn't it? And I see confession as a process, a journey. I see that there are steps to take in confessing. And I was thinking about this and I liken confession to hiking the chief. Has anyone hiked the chief in Squamish? Yeah? Okay, now the chief, let me tell you about the, it's a huge rock, as you can see there, just in Squamish that has a steep climb. You don't have to go up the front, although some people do, but you can sort of go around the back and that way. And for two hours, you're on this steep climb. So when you're confessing, picture doing the hike on the chief. And I'll explain why. Because there are a few steps to take. Here's the first one. Preparation. The first step to confession is preparation. We can't just jump into and out of confession. It takes time. You can't do it when you're lining up to pay at the checkout in Safeway. Oh, I've got 30 seconds. Lord, I'm just going to confess now. Thanks. No, it takes time. You have to prepare just like preparing to tackle the chief. You don't just turn up in your shorts and flip-flops. You've got to get the maps together, and you've got to get the right clothing, and especially for me, I have to prepare myself mentally. I have to meditate for hours before I even just try to do that climb. And so with confession, we need to prepare ourselves. And what we need to do is first examine our hearts. So we place ourselves in the care of the Holy Spirit and ask his help in pinpointing 
the areas that we need to confess and change. So reflecting on our thoughts and words and deeds and thinking, yeah, you know what? I really screwed up there. I stained the sofa on that. Now, historically, this was known as the prayer of examine. You know, Lord, bring to my mind the things I have done against you and against others. There's liturgy in the Anglican Church and in the Catholic Church that talks of those things. If nothing comes to mind as you're sitting there, you are Jesus Christ. If nothing comes to mind... Well, you know, I've, I've been pretty good this week. Well, why don't you do what Martin Luther did and just sort of go through the Ten Commandments. First one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. All of it, everything. Oh, all right, how about now? And what about Jesus when he talked about the Sermon on the Mount? You've committed adultery when you look at someone with lust in your eyes. Oh, all right. So we need to prepare for confession. Identify the things we need to confess is a start. But you have to begin confessing by turning those thoughts into words. And so you have to begin. It's like preparing for the chief, you know, and just saying, okay, all right, we're ready. And then not moving. You are not going to do the hike if you just stay there. So you have to start putting one foot in front of the other. And so with confession, we need to start putting one foot in front of the other, which means articulating our thoughts. And that may mean speaking the words out loud. It's powerful to verbalize what you've done wrong. Best not to go to Metro Town or somewhere like that to do it. You might get locked up. But find somewhere quiet. That's why we're told to confess to one another. Maybe find someone that's close to you that you can speak out loud. And confession should be specific and concrete and particular, rather than a, a general, uh, I'm sorry for being a jerk, or I'm sorry for lying. It's better to say, I lied to my boss and said I was working when I wasn't so I could watch the game. Or I treated my spouse really badly by not helping her. She was really struggling with a bad day, and I, I just, I didn't help. Being specific can bring about more honesty and change than 20 variations of some vague, I'm just a jerk. Make it specific, concrete. And at the heart of it, confession involves taking appropriate responsibility for what we've done. And that's not easy to do. Because we... We try to slip out of it, don't we? What starts as a confession of, often ends up as an excuse. I didn't mean to yell at you, but I'm just having such a bad day. 
I'm sorry I did that, but it's my parents' fault. It was the way I was brought up. We excuse, don't we? To confess means to own up to the fact that our behavior wasn't just the result of bad parenting or poor genes or jealous siblings or a chemical imbalance from too much chocolate. Any or all of those factors could be involved, but confession means saying that somewhere in the mix of all that was a choice. And the choice was made by us. And it doesn't need to be excused, explained, or even understood. The choice needs to be acknowledged. Okay. It's a heavy subject, isn't it, confession? Okay, I'm not going to lighten it. Okay, we've prepared, we've started off, and now comes the tough part. Oh, no. Well, that was bad enough. The pain. Those of you who have done the chief will know that it's not an easy hike. There is a time on the hike where it becomes really difficult and painful. You're heading up the steep climb, clambering over trees and rocks and ladders and chains and your legs begin to hurt and your breathing becomes heavy and you start to sweat. It's uncomfortable. And confession is like that. Confession is not just saying words. It involves entering into pain. The pain of the person we may have hurt or entering into God's pain over sin. In the book of James, it says this. It says, cleanse your heart, so confess you sinners and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. You know, I thought this was one of the most depressing verses in the whole of Scripture. But in fact, the pain we experience during confession can actually be the greatest gift. Contrition is as useful to the soul as pain is to the body. Tanya, Andre, Linda and I have started to do a spin class on a Friday. That is my confession to you. A spin class is where um, you sit on a bike with about 30 other people and you follow the leader, a stationary bike, and you follow the leader who's telling you to go faster and to go up the gears. It hurts. It is painful. Is it doing me any good? I don't think so. <laughs> yes, it is. It's just like the plant. I'm not seeing it yet. But, you know, sometimes you don't think it's doing you good, the pain at the time. But it does. And this pain, this remorse, 
this feeling of, of uh, suffering that we go through in confession helps us to understand how bad our sin was. We have to understand that. Now, now this pain, this entering into suffering, please hear me on this, is not just to beat ourselves up. You know, it's like stopping on the root of the chief and saying, oh, this pain is awful, I can't do it, I'm going to stay here and just feel really sorry for myself. See, feelings of remorse can be highly destructive, but we need to adopt a more godly sorrow. This is the remorse which, which leads us to restitution and reconciliation. It's a sorrow which compels us to change. I don't want to be like that and to grow. And this brings us to the fourth step in the process of confession. And that's a new hope. A new hope. As we go through the pain, we come to a new hope. Those of you who have done the chief, after about three quarters of the way up there, you start getting your second wind. And you speak to people as they're coming down. And you look at them and you say, how far is it? And they say, oh, it's not far. It's not far now. And wait till you get there. It's going to be worth it. And so you get this new hope. New hope. Come on, we can make this. We can do this. And the same thing happens in the process of confession. You see... Confession isn't just naming what we've done in the past. It involves our intentions for the future as well. It requires a kind of promise. As God does his work in us through the process of confession, we'll have this deep desire not to do the hurtful thing that we did before. So we make a vow. We resolve that with God's help, we will change. I did that. I've told you this before. On April the 1st, um, after I just got married to Linda, I played this awful April Fool's joke on Linda where I sent her a letter to say that she had won an uh, all-expenses holiday to Mexico. Until I, and she got so excited and she phoned all the family and she so needed a holiday. She was working really hard and she needed to get away. And she was phoning everyone. She said, yes, look, we've won this. It's great. It's super. And then I had to tell her, do you know what day it is? She said, yeah, it's April the 1st. Why? Well, it was a little joke. It wasn't a little joke to Linda. I have the bruises still and the scars, <laughs> both physical and mental. <laughs> so what I did, I said I was so sorry. I felt awful. Absolutely. She was in floods of tears. Felt so awful. And I vowed I'm never going to play an April Fool's joke on Linda again, even if it's a really good one. <laughs> and I haven't. To this day. So I may make a promise. I make a promise. And that's what it involves as we confess. This is what Zacchaeus did, didn't he? When he confessed, remember the tax collector, he said to Jesus, you know what, I'm going to repay anyone I've cheated four times over. I'm going to do that, make it right. So we make preparations. 
We identify the areas where we've fallen. We say the words. We go through the pain. We get this new hope, make a new promise. And then, and then finally, we come through the trees We reach the summit. And everything that you have gone through was worthwhile. You forget the journey and you just bask in the sheer beauty and joy of the summit. What's the summit of confession? Well, it's the wonderful, utterly incredible, truly beautiful, amazing grace. God's grace freely given to those who come to him. This is not just the idea of grace, the concept of grace, but grace as reality, immersed in it, drowning in grace, as that song says. You see, confession is ultimately life-giving. Confession leads us to a place of love, a place of forgiveness, a place where our heart is restored. It's that moment when we realize that what we have done is actually not remembered. Praise God. It's been wiped clean. The stain on the sofa has gone. One of my favorite movies is The Mission. And if people have seen uh, The Mission, it stars Robert De Niro. And he plays the role of Mendoza. He's a character who's vile. He's selfish. He's brutal. But he decides uh, that he wants to change and he wants to repent. And so he's required as an act of penance to carry a heavy burden tied to his body. Everywhere he goes, he has to drag this heavy uh, burden with him. And then one day on a desperate climb up a mountain, he, he's dragging this huge burden and he realizes that he's not going to make it. And in fact, what he's doing, he's putting the lives of all those climbing with him in danger. And so suddenly one of the, the tribesmen comes out with a knife. And Mendoza thinks he's, he's, he's going to be killed. They're going to kill him. But instead, the knife slashes the rope that has bound him to his burden. And he's free. He's free. And he lives. The burden has done its work. The giving of the burden was actually an act of grace. 
It caused pain and hardship, but it was grace all the same. The release from the burden was an even greater act of grace. So it is with confession. You and I can only grow with the grace of God. But to grow in that grace, to experience the fullness of that grace, to immerse ourselves in that amazing grace, we first have to go through the pain and the discipline of confession. Tough, honest, emotionally draining, painful confession. There's no other way to get to the summit. Let's pray. I know God has been speaking here this morning. I, my spidey senses have, uh, have given me that. And, and I think for some of us, it's been quite painful. And maybe God is wanting us to to bring those things to him that we know that we've tried to cover up. I'm not asking for a public confession. I'm just asking you, between you and God, to bring those things to him. To bring that burden to him. And that can be painful, and it's difficult, and it's hard. Father, I pray for those of us now that are feeling convicted, feeling challenged, are feeling lousy, are feeling worthless because of what we've done. Lord, will you, by your Spirit, right now, pour out streams of your grace over these people? Like a waterfall, Lord, will you throw down your love and your mercy, and your grace, and your forgiveness. May you, Lord, may you wash out all of those things in our lives that we know that we shouldn't have done. 
that have kept us from you. Lord, will you just wash them right out? And Lord, would you replace all of that filth with your love for us? Help us to see ourselves as you see us, Lord, through, the, uh, through Jesus. Perfect and beautiful and spotless and clean. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you never leave us the way you find us. Thank you, Jesus.